Good morning and welcome to Chanel. I want to go ahead and point out that I'm working on some preaching skills, and so I'm trying to go without notes today. I have a clicker here that's going to help me advance, so if anything goes south, it's not on Miles. It's all on me. I just want to point that out there. Miles is excellent back there, but I'm, I'm taking all the ownership today. Uh, so we're glad that you're here with us. We're, we're excited to see you at Chanel. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. We're glad that you are here and a part of Chanel Valley Church. Now this morning will be the last sermon that I do on Vacation Bible Stories. I'm going to be talking uh, about the book of Daniel, Daniel 1 and Daniel chapter 1 and then Daniel chapter 6. Next week, Craig Lair will be here, and Craig will be preaching on the book of Jonah. Uh, I'm excited to hear Craig preach, but I, I, I promise you that no matter how excited we may be, there is a contingency in Harrison that is far more excited than we could ever compare. I know Craig's parents are excited to hear him preach. So this morning, we're, we're back to where we were last week, where last week we talked about it, the book of Daniel begins with the Babylonians taking the Israelites and then finding the best men in that group to become Babylonian soldiers. And the text begins here in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So what happens is they say, you've got to eat the certain food that the Babylonians are eating. We want you to be just like the Babylonians in the way that they think, the way that they dress, even the way that they eat. And one way to do that is to force a particular diet on them. But Daniel says, hey, listen, I, I know that's the thing that we're doing here. We're not trying to buck the system by any means, but if we could just kind of follow our own diet. You've already changed our names. You've already taken us away from our home. If, if we could just eat what we're used to eating, like, could we do that? And the, the guard in charge of Daniel and his friends just basically says, like, hey, I don't, look, you're going to get me in trouble. If I do this, like I, my neck is on the line. I can't do this. And so what happens is the official said, I'm afraid of the Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. He's like, Daniel, I can't let you eat whatever you want to eat. If, if you get weak if you get sick, if you just look different than anybody else, here, I'm in trouble. But Daniel says this. He says, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And this is, if you're a kid here, you're like, what? Uh, we've, we've kind of tried to sell these as vacation Bible stories. And if you're a kid learning this story, you have to be like, he asked for this? He said water and vegetables? Like, this is what they requested? Uh, the Babylonians had a very red meat diet, and so it would have been a, a very big shift for Daniel and his friends, um, which is why they likely didn't want to eat the food that they had. But Daniel says in verse 13, Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And, and we know the story. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they stick to this diet of vegetables and water. And they are above and beyond the other men in the kingdom. God shows his favor on them. He respects their diet. They follow what God has commanded them to do. And they become stronger because of it. Now, I'm going to very fastly bridge the gap between chapters 1 and chapter 6. Because a lot happens. 
And chapter 3, which is what we focused on last week, is where we see the blazing furnace, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they find themselves uh, confronting King Nebuchadnezzar, wanting to say, this is who we are, and this is who God created us to be. We cannot defy our God in the way that you're asking us to. That's all chapter 3. But chapters 2, 3, and 4, and, and chapters 5 as well, they're really interesting, especially if you're into like dreams and visions. Because what happens is David finds him, or Daniel, excuse me, finds himself in a place of prominence. Because out of all the people in the kingdom, there's one man who can interpret dreams. There's actually an exchange in chapter 2 where King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to kill all these people who say that they can interpret dreams because I know that they can't. Which is, a, again, vacation Bible story normally equals a lot of murder. But the King Nebuchadnezzar says, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill everyone who can't do this. And then Daniel comes to the forefront, and he's able to interpret dreams. And so because of this, Daniel finds himself at this place of prominence in the kingdom, as someone who can help the king, who when, when the king has a vision, a dream, something that he can't figure out, Daniel finds himself at the right place at the right time, able to articulate what the king is thinking of. This happens over and over again. And in chapter 5, it comes to the forefront where the king sees this hand and he's like, what does this mean? This is weird. And then Daniel explains it. Now, because of all of this, and a theme that we saw last week, because of all of this, jealousy comes to the forefront of the story. And that's really where we enter into chapter 6, where there are several individuals who are mad that Daniel has, in verse 3, distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. We all know the type of individual that the Bible is describing here. It's the first person at work. It's the person that brings you the birthday card for your coworkers. Like, I was just worried that Janice wasn't going to get celebrated. Like, that's kind of who Daniel is. He is a good, trustworthy man in the kingdom. He does everything that the king commands, and he's also a follower of God. And because of this, we find ourselves in a very similar situation that we see all throughout the Old Testament, and especially in these vacation Bible stories, where jealousy drives the motivations of individuals. And in this next passage here in verse 5, these satraps, these administrators... They say, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I searched the internet high and low, looking for an example to articulate the jealousy that these individuals had. And the only, the only source that I could really find that fit a vacation Bible story sermon was the VeggieTales. Let's play just a clip, Miles job, the wise men would have to do whatever he said. This made the wise men very unhappy, and they immediately started thinking of ways to get rid of Daniel. Got a good little, feels good, doesn't it? Oh no, what we 
we gonna do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. Alright, we'll, we'll cut it there because we're gonna be singing that all day long. Um, and there, there are no children in here, so if they find it, it's on their own accord. Uh, but, but I love that video, and I love kind of how silly it is. But that's really what's going on, is they are so jealous that Daniel has found himself at this place of prominence, that the king likes Daniel. The king trusts Daniel. And there's an element here, too, of Daniel's not from here. That language of like, hey, he's not one of us. He's, he's from Jerusalem. They brought him in here, right? They made him wear our clothes, speak our language. We tried to change his name. We did all of the things. And yet Daniel has distinguished himself at this point where they know that the only way that they are going to do anything to accuse Daniel is if it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, I love the way that this next verse starts off because you, you kind of see what's coming. Because they say, may King Darius live forever. Because Darius the Mede is now the king in chapter 6. If you're ever in a situation where perhaps your children come to you and they're like, Father. I would be very suspicious if, if Judah came to Whitney and I and said, Father, Mother, may you live forever. We're like, what do you want? Because that's kind of what's going on here, is they come to the king very formal. And they say, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And we have to applaud the Babylonians because we're advancing in how we torture and kill people. Three chapters ago, we were setting people ablaze in the burning fire. Now we're like lined in. Let's, you know, amplify it. Let's see what we can do next. But you have to point out an element, too, here, that this is a weird request. Because a lot of the Babylonian kings did not see themselves as gods. In fact, most Babylonian rulers did not care who you worshipped. They didn't care what god you served, where you were from, as long as you did what you were told. And so the, the satraps, the prefects, like all these individuals are presenting a situation that doesn't really make sense unless you understand that what they were concerned the most about was individuals following the rule and understanding that the Babylonians were in charge. And so in verse 8, Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So they went to the king and spoke about this royal decree. Did you not publish a decree? I skipped something that's on me. That's not on Miles, that's on me. Because what happens is they issue this decree, and then Daniel continues to pray to God. Three times a day, Daniel prays to God. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's, he's covering all of his bases. There's a repetitive nature there of this, of discipline. I don't think it goes any deeper than that, but that, that Daniel is very disciplined in how he prays and how he communicates with God. And so what they do is they, they watch for Daniel. And then in verse 12, they think they've got him. They say, so, the, so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Again, we've got this new lion's den. We haven't even got to take the, you know, the plastic off. We're really wanting to use it, King Darius. And the king answered, the, the decree stands. 
in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And the king said, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. It's that language of he's not one of us. He's not from here. He's not like us. Who is one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And you can hear the pain and the frustration of King Darius. But they continue on and they, they keep pushing. It says, The men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king, has, the king issues can be changed. They've got him. King Darius doesn't have a way out of this. One of the things that's easily overlooked is that King Darius wanted to do this. Like we apply that to the story because in, in our minds maybe it makes it easier that there's someone in charge making these decisions. But in essence, King Darius does not want to do this. Remember, he loves Daniel. He trusts Daniel. He sees a future in Daniel. The last thing that he would want to do is to put that future in jeopardy. But he realizes that he's made a mistake. And he's found himself in this box that he, he himself has put himself in. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. You can see the, the passion. You can see the pain in the words of King Darius. This feeling of, like his friend, somebody he, he trusts, now finds himself in a compromised situation because of individuals who, who were, were forcing their hand for some reason or another where he kind of got caught up into the Babylonian mentality of everyone is going to follow the rules. Everyone is going to do what we say that they are going to do. And he finds himself in this position where he is putting that individual whom he trusts in the den of lions. Now, I've mentioned this before, but, but our family, we love magic. Whitney doesn't, Isla doesn't really care, but Jude and I do. We love magic hard, and we, we watch magic videos. Uh, we recently went to a, a magic show that the library put on that I'm still debating on whether or not Judah should have gone. Um, as we, you know, we, we talk about the nightmares, you know, we'll figure that out later on. Um, like it's an illusion, but I love magic for a lot of different reasons. I think to me, magic allows us to to kind of still understand and appreciate like the wonder of like how did that happen and and you kind of recognize the craft too. But if you were to do magic history, which we're about to do for just a moment this morning, uh, you would eventually get back to this man. Uh, Eric Wise is his birth name, but most of us know him as Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini was the the world's greatest magician at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, born, I, I believe, uh, in, in Europe somewhere, but um, Harry Houdini came to prominence by doing a, a trick with handcuffs. And so his, his stage name originally was Harry Handcuffed Houdini. And he eventually, over time, started developing these crafts, developing these illusions, these tricks that, that created awe and wonder. One of the things that when I talk to Judah about magic that I try to emphasize, especially in the turn of the century here, there were no iPhones. Like, there was no way to Google how did he do that trick. 
these individuals had to watch a magic trick and then just go home and let that rattle around in their brains until they forgot about it. That's awesome. And that's kind of the world that Harry Houdini was in. But if you were to look at the trick that really defined Harry Houdini, it would be this trick, the straitjacket trick. Originally, when Harry Houdini started doing the straitjacket trick, what he would do was he would have someone put the straitjacket on him, then he would go behind a curtain and then make a bunch of silly noises, like kind of like grunting, like, oh, oh, you know, and it would give this like illusion that he is actually getting out of a straitjacket. Now, over time, the curtain wasn't enough. People were like, someone's untying you back there. It's not that cool of a magic trick. And so what Harry Houdini started doing was amplifying it, right? So here uh, is a picture of Harry Houdini suspended by a crane with his feet shackled and in a straitjacket. Uh, here's a, one more picture that kind of shows you the suspended nature of this as Harry Houdini is exiting it. But there's actually more amplification to this trick. What he did next was he shackled himself in the straitjacket and put himself in an oversized milk jug or whatever it's called, and then normally would have that sealed as well. You can see how official it is. The police are there. Uh, that's how you know it's serious business with this magic. I, I point out this particular trick because if you go to any magic show today, the magician will do some variation of this trick. Whether that be just in a straitjacket in front of people, perhaps they find themselves in a box that has been locked and sealed. You've seen those type of tricks. Or even the, the greatest one where they're in a straitjacket and they are submerged in water. Like there's something that captivates an audience when somebody is in a straitjacket. But when I see this trick, and likely when you do as well, the thing that comes to mind the most is that he is trapped. I, the anxiety that I have within me escalates when I think about being in a straitjacket, one, suspended or in this milk jug. Either one of those I'm not interested in. But the larger point that I'm trying to make here is that we understand this feeling of being trapped. I've mentioned before that a lot of these vacation Bible stories have larger adult themes. It's easy for us to look at the story of Daniel in the lion's den and say, this is a fun story about a man who gets put into a, a den with lions. He pets them all night long. It's super sweet. It's like man and animal living in harmony. That's not how the Israelites or the contemporary readers of Daniel would have heard the story. I think that the story of Daniel in the lion's den is a lot about being trapped. The Israelites had just been taken over by the Babylonians. Some of them had had to stay in Jerusalem, but often a lot of them went with the Babylonians back to their territory to become like Babylonians. And if you were attempting to maintain your identity, who you were, who God created you to be, in this moment, in this time period, you felt trapped. Like you were in a straitjacket. You were stuck. You couldn't see the way out. And to make it a larger adult theme in this story, and a lot of us in our lives at different points and junctures, we feel trapped too. Maybe it's your, your job. Maybe there's a personal situation where you're like, God, I don't like this. God, I don't know why I'm stuck here at this point feeling this way. In some form or fashion, we've all had those feelings and those experiences. 
And for me, the story of Daniel and the lion's den represents that feeling of the Hebrew people feeling like, God, we, we keep getting taken over. God, we're away from home. God, we, we can't figure out how you're going to get us out of here. God, we feel trapped. And so then they hear this story about a man named Daniel who trusts God. He obeys God. He does all the right things, and he still finds himself in the den of lions. And so Daniel goes. And then the next day, the king runs to this, the, the opening of the lion's den. Again, you can feel that the king did not want to do this. Kings don't run. Kings don't move fast. He, he runs to this den of lions. And Daniel comes out, and Daniel answers, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel. And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Again, we, we like to tell this story to kids because it involves lions. But they would have heard it as God delivering people who are trapped. Like not to give up. Don't lose faith even when things are difficult. Even when you can't figure out how you're going to get out of a circumstance or a situation. Regardless of how frustrating and maddening that may be or how scared you might be right now, God will provide a way out. And if you were an Israelite at that point in captivity, this story would not have been just a fun nighttime story that you would have told your kid. It would have been a story that you clung to. When you felt like the world was against you, that lions were coming at you and you couldn't figure out a way out, that here in this moment, in this story, God provides a way out and rescue to Daniel. So the king issues a decree. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. Do you remember earlier when I talked about how the Babylonians didn't really care who you served? It didn't bother them as long as you followed the rules. We're getting a little bit of a shift here. When we're talking about Daniel's God. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And the story ends. I mentioned a minute ago that this is not a story that's just about lions and petting cute, cuddly animals that you may be afraid of. This is a story for those of us who feel trapped who are looking for God to provide a way out of the situation, the circumstance that we may find ourselves in. And that is what the story of Daniel represents, is that God will provide a way out, that God will deliver his people as long as we trust God, we commit to God. We in our hearts believe that God will provide a way out, even when lions are after us. Let's stand and sing together.